It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down American loser, the day I was born Hello, welcome back to another episode of American Loser. It is the podcast that puts the spotlight firmly on second place. Uh, my name is KP Burke. I'm your host here and uh, my co-host with me, uh, the aforementioned dad on the, uh, <laughs> the logo of the podcast here. My handsome Dilf of a father is back in studio. How are you, Lawrence? Hey, Patrick? we're doing fine. We're doing fine. Thank you much. Good. 20 episodes and you still get called the handsome Dilf of a father. <laughs> there you go. You know, <laughs> sure is. It's hard to argue. Wanting to lose a handle, but... <laughs> <laughs> it ain't gonna happen. <laughs> Actually, we got uh, so the big kahunas behind the ones and twos. You guys can hear that's a familiar voice for regular listeners. What's uh, going on? What's going on? Very happy as always. We are here at uh, Shared Universe Studio in Eatontown, New Jersey. Mike and Ming taking good care of us as always. Uh, weird thing, guys. I want to want to before I introduce our guest real quick. Uh, we hit a milestone today on the show. Um, this is our twentieth episode, and within those twenty episodes. Uh, we have actually uh, now officially, as of today, exceeded over 4,000 total listens. Um, yeah, which is pretty cool. Awesome. So yeah. I'm very happy about that part. A lot of them, we're also trending in the Russian Federation, which is concerning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, which what? now places us firmly on the FBI watch list. Yeah. So uh, we are uh, an iTunes podcast to watch, but also persons of interest in several uh, <laughs> That's right. several international incidents. Um, I'm going to be walking through like a Russian area of town. Someone's going to hear my voice go, Big Kahuna! <laughs> <laughs> That's right. uh, but uh, that being said, we got to introduce our guest here. Um, now, for listeners of the show, you guys uh, have met Cousin Kelly before, who's come on, who is uh, our scholarly English person, okay? Uh, not an English person, literature, but a literature, a literature yeah. student uh, and teacher. Literature as, scholar. As it were. So, uh, <laughs> the one but, who knows uh, how to read. Yeah. <laughs> and Cal's great, but uh, we're going to go ahead. We're going to bring in another cousin here, if it's okay. We're going to bring in, uh, this is our, our intellectual get, all right? The, uh, the on paper, the most academic source we've brought in on the show on, so on far. On paper, on paper. Uh, guys, please welcome my cousin, one of my favorite people on planet Earth, Dr. Kate Burke-Lapis. <laughs> all right, well, Kate. Happy to be here. <laughs> Doctor well, Kate, thank in you the for house. you. You are a, a PhD doctor. Yeah, I am. I yeah, am. So, yes. Uh, and uh, we have an interesting topic here today for you because you also live down this area of the Jersey Shore, right? I do. I uh, do. Ten minutes from here. It's pretty cool. Well, nice uh, commute. Not for nothing. Uh, Thirty minutes from here, because we're in Eatontown, New Jersey. Thirty minutes from here uh, is the site of uh, an infamous tragedy. I know. All right, and it is not the uh, the time I asked um, Andrea Cohen to prom, and she said no. Um, <laughs> Did that happen in Lakehurst? Uh, close. That was a that was a Seaside Heights thing where it's like, but it's three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> uh, but uh, not for nothing. Also, what's uh, do you have any good Jersey Shore stories that you can tell on air, Doctor Burke? Jersey Shore stories? Yeah, because it's always stuff going on down here. Oh, um, <clears throat> well, oh my gosh. I'm married with children, so I'm like playing in the waves and stuff. But Off wanna... the hook. <laughs> right. Enough You're like, what can I say that my kids right. won't hear in 20 years and be like, what was mom talking about yeah. now? We're not talking about your former life. We're talking about today, so oh, we'll, yeah. we'll, keep, yeah, it, we'll um, keep it simple. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're off the hook on that one here then. But, uh, if, uh, I'm not going to DJs too much these a- days, <laughs> or, or ever for a matter of fact. 
Well, uh, what if I told you that on uh, May 6, 1937, uh, whatever bad night anybody's ever had down the Jersey Shore, these guys probably had the worst. Um, at 7.05 p.m. at Lakehurst Air Station, right here in the great state of New Jersey, you can't do a Jersey tie-in like we do for most of the other um, uh, episodes of the show. We always like to try to shoehorn in something for New Jersey here. This really one, shoehorn in. Like we, <laughs> we've, went, it in there. we've went around the Mulberry Bush trying to figure out some Jersey references. but and We stopped being able to make Bill Parcells references as well a long time ago. <laughs> but uh, that being said, this one, we didn't have to do any research at all because it happened right here in Lakehurst, New Jersey. Uh, LZ-129, okay, a.k.a. the Hindenburg. All right, a very famous Zeppelin, if you will, uh, attempted to dock with its mooring mast. Now, we're going to unpack what all this shit means here in a second. But uh, just know that as, uh, as Zeppelins go, the Hindenburg is the Titanic of Zeppelins. Okay, that's really all anybody needs to know at home here. Kahuna, I think you have the world-famous audio queued up here for us. I do. If I could go ahead and ask you to play that for me. It's uh, one of the most famous that's recordings time. on Earth. And again, it's, the van had uh, cracked up a little bit. They backed motors of the ship are just holding it, uh, just enough to keep it from... It burst into flames. Get it started. Get it started. It's right, and it's rising. It's rising. Terrible. Oh, my. Get out of the way, please. It's burning, bursting into flames, and, and it's falling on the morning fast, and all the folks between us. This is terrible. This is the one of the worst catastrophes in the world. Oh, it's just a place Oh, four or five hundred feet into the sky, and it's a terrific crash, ladies and gentlemen. The smoke and the flames now, and the flame is rising to the ground, not quite to the mooring mass. All the humanity and all the planet is speeding around it. Uh, that is perfect right there. That's the line of the century, if you're one of the most famous broadcasts in all history. All the humanity. It is. I mean, everybody spoofed it. You were, you've heard that before, right, Oh, Kate? of course. Absolutely. Yeah, we're not catching you off guard on that one. Um, I mean, you watch the video, and you literally see, see people running out of the flames as it's, like, disintegrating in front of yeah, them. Yeah, that, that, that was a live radio broadcast. Uh, the first podcast. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, not for nothing, um, the uh, the gentleman who did that, I believe Herb Morrison was his name, uh, he actually, uh, that footage was taken and that was the first coast-to-coast -coast international broadcast. Was it, That was what a sensational news story this year was. Um, to give a little context to that video, because that shit's horrifying to look at, um, but it was an 800-foot-long, lighter-than-air, rigid-hull vessel. Okay, that's what the Hindenburg here was, that Zeppelin that they were talking about? Yeah, technically speaking, it was a rigid hull. 804 feet. Uh, what are some comparisons on that for size? Uh, I, I saw um, an image on the internet where it spanned the size of the White House. Holy shit. <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's, that's really hard to, uh, to put a perspective on, but... Um, if you've ever been to the airport and gone flown modern day times and jumped into a 747, the Hindenburg would be uh, basically 104 feet long. Now, when you say 104, what is that, right? Can you picture that? Uh, basically, that's uh, three Boeing 747s end to end. Jesus. So that's that's how long that puppy is. Um, it's four. Goodyear blimps. So if you're watching the Super Bowl and you know you see the uh, the Goodyear blimp flying overhead or some other big time uh, sports game, uh, that's four Goodyear blimps end to end. It's interesting to think about. It's three seven forty sevens, and they only had ninety five people in there. <laughs> How insane right. is that? Everybody right. had some good leg room. That's, that's right. <laughs> yeah, not so much, because. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was one of the. But at what cost? Right. But at what cost? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
Uh, no, there was a uh, uh, unfortunately uh, the uh, as you were saying, Kate, the thirty six passengers and sixty one crew members aboard were about to go down in history. Uh, very much pun intended. Um, at seven twenty five. Oh, I know, but <laughs> but uh, time and tragedy equals comedy, Kahuna, as we've covered. So. Um, at seven, the equation you did that math. Yeah, no, because I think we're six years removed from the time I bought the house down in Chad. <laughs> All right, um, but uh, at seven twenty-five p.m., the uh, Hindenburg suddenly burst into flames and began crashing a distance of two hundred and uh, two hundred feet. Okay, that's two football fields crashing immediately. The whole thing happened within a matter of seconds. Um, absolutely incinerated. I mean, that footage is still uncomfortable to look at, even by a modern standard. It's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it, it literally incinerated. 37 seconds. And, uh, I mean, 37 seconds, too. That is, uh, there's Ramones songs that are longer than that. I mean, that's uncomfortable. But, uh, like we said, it killed uh, 13 of the passengers and 21 crewmen, as well as one civilian on the ground. And when you combine uh, the incident with the footage of NBC's Herb Morrison on the ground with his Oh, the Humanity call, this has become absolutely synonymous with the tragedy. Now, uh, we tend to cover American history on this one, uh, American losers, what we like to, to hone in on. Um, but the funny thing is this incident took place in America, but uh, these are actually German losers we're going to be covering here today, Kate. <laughs> So. <laughs> Welcome to America, and now you're going to die, right? Uh, essentially, well, some yes. Americans coming back home, though, right? I mean, yes, <clears throat> and uh, and also the tie-in for because uh, the Hindenburg is interesting, uh, especially for me because this one was very difficult to stay focused on for the research. With we had Kahuna-like ADD on this one. Um, <laughs> he didn't like that. it. Was uh, <laughs> <laughs> they can't tell you're flipping me the bird in an audio medium? <laughs> All right, Cahoons. I'm just going to mute my mic. Go away. But, uh, <laughs> But uh, the Hindenburg was at the time the largest dirigible ever built. Uh, dirigible being uh, that rigid hull, um, the kind of the, the bone structure, if you will, inside of a balloon is pretty much what it was. And uh, the ship was the pride of pre-war Nazi Germany, a spectacle and achievement uh, in what was known as lighter than air flight. Uh, the Hindenburg disaster completely, pretty much obliterated the lighter than air industry. Yeah, that was definitely a downturn for uh, lighter-than-air passenger service. Well, you know what I like to think of it as? I like to think of it that uh, the, the Zeppelin business went uh, out uh, post-Hindenburg the same way that Trim Spa went out uh, when Anna Nicole Smith died. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys remember the diet supplement she was hawking? Oh, oh, my God. Oh, God I can't even Black and white commercial. Trim, <laughs> Trim Spa, baby. <laughs> Yeah, they weren't selling much of that. Um, I forgot about that. She got really skinny. <laughs> she sure did. Um, what yeah. a train wreck. It was, uh, ah. Well, she was a fascinating person. Um, uh, for another episode of American Loser, I suppose. Oh, my God. Dude. But, <laughs> but Making a lot nothing. of people cringe in this studio. Oh, no, this, uh, well, this is the first one we're doing uh, during the work week, okay. so I'm bitter. Um, <laughs> but that being said, this is the biggest tragedy in lighter-than-air travel. Uh, Lawrence Patrick what the fuck is lighter than air? Well, lighter than air is lighter than air, just as you said. I mean, uh, flight has you know, got a very long history, but um, a, a very rapid progression towards the end there to modern, to modern day times. But uh, lighter than air, there's two different ways of gaining flight. Having a big balloon with a, a gas or hot air inside that big balloon that's going to be lighter than the air surrounding it than the normal atmospheric uh, air temperature and then um, 
an, an airplane kind of a thing where you're creating the atmosphere or the air to flow around a fixed wing to gain lift. Uh, I feel like I'm teaching again, but... Uh. <laughs> For those that don't know, Lawrence Patrick Burke is a uh, retired shop teacher and... Uh, routinely would teach us the principles of flight, which uh, just for those listening at home, LP. Actually, Kate, do you know any of them by chance? I'm not putting you on the spot here again, but... Any the, principles the, of the, flight? The principles of, of flight, flight yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm a biologist. I know. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> right. Well said. I just wanted to... We're, we're throwing that one out there for right. you. It's nothing you... There's nothing you can say that's going to make me laugh harder than uh, uh, when Kelly, uh, we asked her what the, the rapture was, and she goes, oh, it's a type of music, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Kel, if you're listening. Um but uh, what are the four principles of flight, Lawrence Patrick? Well, for flight, um, and again, uh, just a little correction here. I mean, yeah, I was originally a shop teacher or an industrial arts teacher, but then I got myself retooled or got a retread to become a technology education teacher. So we were designing. You had a little bit of a reboot there. Yeah, we, we had a, more of a design problem-solving kind of a thing. So I would throw a bag of crap at the kids and uh, tell them to go build an airplane out of a foam meat tray and a little toy motor and that kind of stuff. But we would talk about, to start with, you got to know what the forces of flight. And basically, there's only four forces of flight, and you got to bring them into a balance. Two are negative, two are positive. you got gravity. That's holding you down. That's holding you down on the ground. You want to overcome gravity somehow or other with lift. All right? So that's going the opposite direction. Um, and now, if you want to move around uh, horizontally, because gravity and lift are basically vertical forces, up, up or down. If you want to move side to side or from left to right or horizontally, then you're going to have to deal with thrust, something to make you move in that direction. And what's holding you back from that is drag, that, you know, something's going to be pushing back against you. That's, that's drag. Friction? <clears throat> yeah, atmos- atmospheric drag. So now, how do, you, how do you achieve all of that crap? Well, if you're going to overcome gravity, you've got to overcome gravity with lift. You're going to get lift in lighter-than-air aircraft by having some kind of a gas that's lighter than the surrounding atmosphere be it a hot air balloon, right? You're going to heat air up. Uh, you know, most everybody knows that heat rises. So um, if you can get the air to be hotter than the surrounding air and hold it within a, in a bag in a balloon, that's going to give you lift. Did they ever try to do that on a bigger scale than like the hot air balloons that we've seen? Um, yeah, well, the, initially that was that was really the first flight was way back when in like 17 uh, let me check here well there was balloons in uh, the 1700s France right uh, yeah but they've always been kind of limited to like a basket that could carry four people or what have you right I mean yeah, it could well, never the, get bigger it, it, than that that was, that was the initial start so I mean the cutting the, the start of the technology of lighter than air aircraft was back way back when in 1783 how many people did the Hindenburg hold when it went up or how many people could it hold I don't know. I, there were 95 people in there, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we don't remember the. Uh, we don't know if they were accounting for uh, all seats were occupied, if you will. But it but was I, a pretty historic flight. And I think it was like high class. You oh know? yeah, like you had was, your own cabin. Right. There were lounges. I mean, people were like milling about. It wasn't like a seat where you were strapped in and you had to stay there the whole <laughs> okay. time. Okay. Right. Right. You know, it was like. Right. You could walk around. Oh yeah, I think you had That's, a cabin with a bed and everything. It wasn't right. a flying greyhound, is what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The idea was that it would. Re- place the, the cruise dog. liner. Yes. Right. And uh, so I think they wanted to like mimic that experience. Well, the big the big comparison to that was the Queen Mary, which was the largest 
ocean liner? ocean liner at the time. Um, so the Hindenburg, you could you could go from Europe to America, you know, transatlantic flight um, or travel, either by going on an ocean liner, and the top of the top of the line ocean liner was the Queen Mary, or you could go with the Hindenburg. Um, now there were a lot of comparisons back and forth. The Hindenburg, because you're now traveling in the air, um, and weight restrictions are, are pretty huge because you know you got this big giant friggin' balloon that's going to be carrying you up. They're providing the lift. Um, your cabin, you would have your own cabin and everything else, but it's going to be small in comparison to what you might be able to um, come away with on a luxury liner like the Queen Mary. Now, just that being said, real quick, uh, I know for a fact that um, Lawrence Patrick has been up in a regular hot air balloon. Have you been in, up in one ever, Kate? I never have. Okay. Uh, Cahoons. Never, never will. I was waiting for him to be like, I don't think I ever will, too. I'm totally nah. afraid of heights. Oh, They're nerve-wracking. very cool. Uh, you're going to walk away with a newfound respect for them uh, during this podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very cool to be in a hot air balloon. Is because, it? You've been yeah, one? there's no... Uh, no sensation of like a, th- a, a big time push or, or throw back in your seat kind of a thing like you might have when you're taking off with the jet. Um, you know, all of a sudden that balloon hits that buoyancy kind of a thing that you're floating like a cork in the water that all of a sudden you look over the edge of that basket and like, holy shit, I'm 300 feet away. <laughs> you know, there, but That's what no, Vertigo would say. Yeah, there's no sensation. There's no sensation there. Um, and hot air balloon, and again, initially, the initial start of that whole uh, uh, type of flight was way back when in 1783. So, I mean, you're talking Revolutionary War time uh, that that stuff's happening. And... Uh, um, there were two brothers, Montgolfler brothers. They were Frenchmen who were in like a, a paper industry kind of a thing, and they put together this uh, one of the first hot air balloons because they were like burning paper, and they noticed that the paper ash is rising up in the in the flames. So, how, you know, why is that happening? Well, uh, kids listening at home. Please play with fire. It's important to us. <laughs> That's right. All right. You don't play know what you're about to do. The age of discovery. <laughs> right. Go play with matches, kid. You'll discover something. <laughs> You'll discover fire bad. Yeah, but uh, you know they were they were like one of the uh, originators of this whole thing. But their first balloons were like made out of uh, cloth and paper that they were just holding some kind of a bag together to capture that hot air, and they were burning straw. To create I would imagine those the paper heat. bags would catch fire. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, oh my God! That said, yeah, that that did happen, and they came crashing down because the the fire uh, ignited the the balloon itself. Um, so you know that that was not a good thing. But going back to the whole uh, Queen Mary versus the Hindenburg kind of a thing, uh, the Hindenburg you had to have a lot of coin in order to travel via the Hindenburg. That was really first-class uh, flight. Although your space might be a little bit cramped, there was a lot of comparisons back and forth as to which was the better way of going. You could go on to the Queen Mary and you'd have more space and you could walk around and everything else, but you're still taking five days to, to cross the Atlantic. Where And, and you know, you're going to have fine dining and all that kind of stuff, but... Back in the day, uh, with the with the Queen Mary, you didn't have stabilizers on that big ship, so invariably you're going to get seasick at the same time. So you got to say, well, do I want to go five days being seasick, or do I want to go pay the extra bucks and go on the Hindenburg and I'm across the Atlantic in two days? 
and yeah. I'm not bobbing around like a cork on and the I'm water. Not, yeah, right. Exactly. And time is money. And time, <laughs> time, is, time is money. So. It's crazy you bring up that comparison because uh, you ever seen the movie The Original Poseidon Adventure? Oh, yeah. yeah, I loved that. I one. love that movie, but that's actually based on something that happened to the Queen Mary where it almost tipped over, but it got hit by this humongous wave. Rogue wave. By yeah. a rogue wave. And it. When you said that, I was just like, oh, my God, wait. Yeah, I would much prefer to ride in a Zeppelin. That sounds a little bit better. Yeah, there was, there was, there was no sensation. Yeah. In the Hindenburg, there's no sensation of, you know, up and down. It's just you're just floating along, and it's, you know, everybody's happy. But I would think wind would have to make your ride oh, absolutely, a little bumpy, Absolutely, right? absolutely. And in that time frame, too, you know, it's prevailing headwinds or tailwinds and everything else, so things are going to be adjusted. But just even we have that today, even with jet flight so uh, i imagine the cabin with that was uh, i always think of it as uh being in ghostbusters 2 when uh, the ghostbusters take the statue of liberty and they're up in the crown that that's the the whole thing's actually moving around and everything but they're only in that one little tiny part of the thing that's moving the rest of the the ship so the cabin compared to the actual balloon itself i, I keep calling it a balloon that's not the correct term for it but the canopy that they had with those rigid hulls inside that we're going to explain in a second why we started putting bones and ribs inside of these things. Uh, that really was so huge that it dwarfs the size of the cabin. But like you were saying, Kate, a lot of legroom on here. Uh, pretty, it's also a fancy brand new technology. Sure. So people, why wouldn't you? Why don't show off a little bit? Right. You know, show up in an Aston Martin if you can. There's a real good comparison to well, not modern day today, but just a few years back. Like if you wanted to go to France, you could jump into, or even London, you could jump into the Concorde and be there in a couple of hours. That so literally, you could go to the airport right after breakfast, New York time, and be in France and have lunch in Paris. You know that. I don't uh, know. <laughs> <laughs> but. Again, but they don't fly that anymore, limited right? limited passengers, I don't think so. limited number of passengers, and um, you know very expensive. And the Concord no longer flies. That uh, that just got um, cost prohibitive. To, and there's a lot of environmental you know, sound, and it is all kinds of uh, complications with the Concord. But uh, basically, people didn't want to pay the bucks for the for that extra speed, if you will. Just to unpack this here for a second, as we're talking about Zeppelins, and um, Zeppelin is uh, almost like the rock band where they uh, presumably borrowed from some other influences of theirs and then kind of made their own thing. Uh, the design of a Zeppelin, which is what the Hindenburg was, borrowed heavily off of uh, a couple other ideas. Now, one of the things that stands out here when we were doing our research, there's this name that keeps popping up. Thaddeus S.C. Lowe, a, uh, an American, nonetheless, a New Hampshire American, too, Ooh, Kate. Well, um, there you nice, go. There nice. You go. Granite State, baby. Absolutely. Some, uh, <laughs> some famous people up there in, uh, in my family, as it were. But uh, so now Thaddeus S.C. Lowe is an interesting guy. He's essentially a boy genius and a self-made scientist, okay? So he's got uh, not a whole lot of formal education here, but the guy's just a brilliant dude. And uh, in uh, he's the original pioneer of bio, uh, ballooning in America. He's been obsessed with flight his entire life here. And in 1857, and like I said, we don't have to do any legwork on the shoehorns for Jersey this time. In 1857, he has the first tethered balloon flight where he goes up with the balloon in a tethered flight, which as you explained to me, Dad, meant that there's just a cable on the ground holding him in place right. and he can't float right. away. It's like right. a little, little kid's party balloon that you're holding on to that string. If the kid lets go of that string, the balloon is bye-bye, and it's going to carry you to wherever the prevailing winds uh, might take you. Yeah, you ain't so, going to Oz with this thing, pretty so, much. Yeah, now he's on a, a, on a tethered balloon. 
Um, and basically what that is is you're running the line out like a kite, and and when you want to come back down again, somebody on the ground is, is cranking you back in again. Now, he launched this from his farm, Kate. Now, the most unbelievable story, <laughs> the most unbelievable part of this story yeah. is that there was once farmland in Hoboken, New Jersey, where the story happened. <laughs> Okay. Pixar didn't happen. Yeah. Now it's all friggin' uh, it's all friggin' high rises and everything like that. Now it's uh, essentially this guy would just be hovering above a vegan coffee shop or something. But um, anyway, it did make me laugh too because he was married at the time, and uh, it must be frustrating to uh, be married to a, a mad scientist, if you will, because his poor wife, who was um, this uh, when he met her, she was a 19 year old Parisian actress, so that was like, you know, uh, uh, definitely uh, definitely something to talk about at parties. Um, she would come outside. And, Very uh, glamorous. I yeah, guess. she was a smoke show. Besides. Oh yeah, That's, uh, I thought of what smoke show man on the ride down. Um, <laughs> so hey, I'm hip. I'm hip. I'm current. <laughs> <laughs> but just imagine being this uh, this 19 year old Parisian actress, and you walk outside, and your husband as you're yelling, are you, "What are you doing out in the yard, Thaddeus? What are you doing?" And then all of a sudden, in the basket, he just starts disappearing up into the sky. <laughs> all of a sudden, he's a hundred feet up in the air and everything. But fascinating guy here. That's uh, he pilots the first tethered flight. And he began to attract uh, heavy media attention. And uh, what do you want with media attention? It's the same thing we want for this podcast. European investors. All right. He started getting people fascinated in the idea that you might have a way to stop having to ship things over via the sea. You might have a way to start utilizing the air like Kate was talking about. So they're all excited about this possible brand new way to have a transatlantic flight uh, where you can bypass the ocean. Yeah, this whole ballooning thing was definitely the hot topic. I mean, even going back to, uh, you know, France in the 1780s, that uh, there was a huge, a huge uh, popular following of anything to do with ballooning. This would gather crowds. As a matter of fact, the Goffler brothers, that was one of their first big deals. That, that was a whole marketing ploy, that they're putting up this huge balloon and it's pretty much advertising their paper company kind of a thing and drawing all you know thousands of people to the for the crowds and stuff and then all over France, all over England, Germany, everybody's now trying to outdo everybody else with this newfound technology of hot air ballooning. And then almost coinciding at the same time, you know, there's problems with the hot air balloon that if what is providing the heat source to heat the air sets the balloon on fire. There's a, there's a complication there, right? <laughs> so, a little bit of a hiccup. Yes, and then there's another guy. Uh, um, well, we still got to cover low here too. Uh, which name are you about to bring up? Well, I'm going to bring in just a guy that uh, helps bring about a different gas rather than dealing with hot air. Talk to me. There's a guy named Henry Cavendish. He's uh, uh, an Englishman. And although he didn't really discover hydrogen gas, he's the first guy that really kind of brings it out as a separate uh, element that hydrogen gas is a, is a separate deal. It's also lighter than air, so you're going to get the same buoyancy that you need to provide that lift. The only problem with hydrogen, it's very explosive. So, you know, if you have uh, a match or a flame that could possibly ignite, and now instead of just burning the, the balloon, now the, the balloon is blowing up kind of a thing. And that's another one of the negatives to the Hindenburg flight is that although – it was a little tighter quarters and flying across the Atlantic, and it only took you two days. The downside, 1930s, everybody and his brother and sister was a smoker. 
And right, right, right. Had, yes. Oh, my God. They had very restrictive areas, smoking areas um, set aside that was specific with closed airlock doors kind of a thing. And there would be a steward there to light your cigar or yes, your cigarette. the bartender had the one lighter. <laughs> that's right. No that's shit. Right. Yes. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's yeah. Cool. Very, very well, restrictive with that. I'm sure they didn't have right. lighters that's, back then. And you weren't walking out of there with, you know, going out on the, on the promenade deck and uh, – Watching the world go by, smoking a stogie or smoking your cigarette. Kind well, of a thing. little unsettling here, but um, in a, I don't know if people know this or uh, I'm sure I'm allowed to say it at this point. But um, I, if you don't know, I, I did six years in the Navy, and the ship that I was on was the USS Kearney. It was a guided missile destroyer, and I thought this was uh, very concerning. That uh, one of my last uh, trips on the ship, we went to uh, Yorktown Weapons Station in order to take on uh, uh, weapons and ammunition for ordinance, a deployment, yeah. the ordinance that was going to be going on for a deployment later on. And one of the rules uh, when you are in that port is there is no smoking and no cell phone use uh, while you are in port at Yorktown taking on ordnance for fear that uh, a cigarette or a cell phone could detonate some of the ordnance and cause an incident. Static electricity, right? Now imagine my concern when they said, Burke, you're not allowed to smoke cigarettes, which I don't do, and you're not allowed to be on the cell phone, which back in the day was the old school flip phones. <laughs> so no smoking, no cell phones, uh, but we do need you to weld something. <laughs> Oh, no problem. We'll be arcing and sparking. What? Wait a second. But, uh, no, so that was uh, uh, chaos with all that here. But, I, but the thing that fascinates me here, and I, Kate, did you have something earlier? I don't want to cut you off. Oh, no, no. I'm good. Um, I'm good. Now, uh, this guy, uh, Thaddeus S.C. Lowe that we're talking about, who's launching that first tethered flight, he is uh, uh, making mass-producing balloons now. He is uh, almost a wizard of the ballooning industry, if you will. And um, like all great inventions here, uh, the first thing people want to know is how do we use this to kill someone? <laughs> of course. <laughs> so the military wants to get involved. It's, so the military is yeah. interested in uh, Mr. Lowe uh, and because we have something going on right now. Uh, the American Civil War is underway here. And uh, Mr. Lowe actually puts a, a little um, a pin, if you will, in his scientific research and follows his patriotic duty in order to uh, go ahead and serve for the, uh, the Army of the Potomac. He even met with Abraham Lincoln uh, in order to get a job. I swear to God I'm not making this shit up, Kate. You're going to think we've gone off the rails here. <laughs> he was the uh, the chief aeronaut. Yep. Okay. <laughs> that was his title. He was the chief aeronaut. He was appointed by Abraham Lincoln, and he got the job over several other people competing with him because he raised a balloon, a, a tethered flight, a balloon about 100 feet above the White House with telegraph equipment in the basket and telegraphed back down to Abraham Lincoln. Uh, thank you. you know, I, I've just sent the first telegraph uh, you know, via balloon. Oh, gosh. Right. Communicating so, from the skies. Right. right. Ex- holy shit, right? Huge. Right. <laughs> and, and to the military mind, and it, this wasn't the first time that uh, – well, it was the first time that a telegraph was sent via you – know, from a balloon. But um, the military in Europe has used that previous – that. It's an observation platform. If you can get high up with a pair of binoculars, you can see where your enemy is going to be at. And if you can report that back down to the ground quickly via telegraph key, that, that's freaking awesome. These are awesome. stealth balloons, too. Hey, do you see that giant red yeah. fucking thing in this guy? <laughs> right. With the yeah, beautiful right. yellow stripes. <laughs> that's right. right. Must be a circus in town. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, yeah, enter now uh, what is going to become the formation of, if I could go back in time, Kate, I would join the United States Army Balloon Corps. All right? <laughs> yeah, that's what it was, the U- Union Army Balloon Corps. 
Uh, and it really was a thing. I would have been all about it. Um, I yeah. thought it was pretty cool that they're calling themselves aeronauts, too. And they're not astronauts. They're aeronauts. <laughs> you know, that's uh, for the time. That was awesome. And hey, holy God, you're off the ground. You're up in the air. Well, like you said, too, now you're up in the sky. You want to be able to take a look at that and, uh, and see what's going on. I mean, uh, a weird thing that happened with Lowe is um, he actually uh, at the battle, uh, he was he took place in several major battles where he was spotting things from up in the sky. So okay. he was in the balloons too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, was, yeah. He wasn't just sending other guys aloft. He's up there himself. Yeah, these were a lot of manned flights. Now, one of uh, the flights that he was on, if you will, um, he actually crashed behind enemy lines. Okay, behind enemy lines. Then got discovered. That's a bit of an oopsie. Yeah, uh, I was going to say it's a. Also, again, like we said, it's not really like you can do this in a um, covert manner. It's a. Hey, where'd that giant red balloon go? Oh, it's there a minute ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's right near that red puddle on the ground. Um, <laughs> but he was an interesting guy. Saw a lot of cool shit. Um, now, uh, Mr. Lowe, post-war life, by the way, would go on if you want to uh, if you want to tip your cap to uh, Mr. Thaddeus S. C. Lowe here. He also went on later on in life to invent uh, the compression ice machine, also known as ice makers and refrigerators. So Ooh, That's a huge okay. invention. That's exactly. huge. So yeah. that cold beer you enjoyed before the show, Kate, I think we owe that to Mr. Thaddeus S. <laughs> yeah, he had a lot to do with that. That hamburger I defrosted that I've had for the past five months. <laughs> okay. That's right. A little gray, but that's all right. <laughs> that's outstanding. Put some onion on that burger. be fine. <laughs> Uh, hey, uh, I want to throw in here, too, that Mr. Thaddeus Lowe, he had another first uh, during the Civil War. It was during the Peninsula Campaign for those Civil War aficionados out there. Um, General George McClellan is uh, the guy that's now in charge of the Union Army, at least in the East. Lowe is uh, given use of a, uh, an old coal barge. So you got this big, you know, flat-bottomed coal barge kind of a thing that he takes over. And he loads it up with two brand new balloons, and he was able to uh, come up with this uh, hydrogen gas generator. So these are not hot air balloons; these are these are hydrogen balloons that that uh, they're inflating to take them off. Well, anyhow, he takes this converted coal barge, loads it up with two balloons and hydrogen generators, and fills the thing up. And in essence, what he did with that that Lowe is credited with being the first official aircraft carrier on a converted coal barge. Holy shit. <laughs> he took it out into the Potomac River and uh, went aloft to, uh, to spy on the Confederates who were none at that point retreating back towards Richmond. Pretty cool. This the, Between that and then what you were telling me earlier too that, um, correct me where I'm wrong here, but the uh, Hindenburg was uh, hydrogen inside the rigid hull, correct? It was. And uh, the, some of the original designs were helium, right? No, so the original it started with hot air, and then it went over to hydrogen, and because helium was very difficult to come by, hydrogen a lot of people could generate uh, large amounts of, of hydrogen that was necessary. Helium is inert; it's a, st a more stable gas, and it's not going to explode on you like I'm checking in with, would. with Dr. Burke here to make sure you're not bullshitting the audience at home. <laughs> so so far, he's not bullshitting. That's, <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> And at the time of the Hindenburg, the United States was producing 80% of the helium in the world. And they had decided in 1929, because German was governed by the Nazis, and they were like, forget this, we are not exporting any helium to Germany. So they had no choice but to use hydrogen. Great point, Kate. Could Great you imagine how, uh, how much funnier Hitler's speeches would have been, though, if he was on helium? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
I would love to hear Sick. that. Even Sick. If the, Sick. While, I'm, while I'm hooked up to YouTube, I could probably find that. <laughs> well, Matt, if the Hindenburg disaster had uh, helium inside of its rigid hull, it would have been much funnier. Oh, the the announcer would have just turned into Elmo. <laughs> That's it. But, the uh, Wizard of Oz. Munchkins. Munchkins. There it is. That's, maybe that's where they got that. I wonder. Now. Say that again, Kate. The I'm Wizard sorry. of Oz Munchkins. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh god. <laughs> yep, with the balloon. So now, uh, Mr. Lowe, who They've been uh, huffing helium for sure. Very outstanding character there in Mr. Thaddeus S. C. Lowe, who uh, did see some. Uh, com- he got very pissed off with the army towards the end because he didn't. Um, he didn't think that they were really uh, using him to his appropriate skill level and a lot of things. He had some feuds. And uh, like uh, all geniuses, he gets fired by the United States military. Um, one of the guys that he manages to inspire, though, very interesting guy here, uh, a man who came to be known as Zeppelin, Baron Von Zeppelin. Give them, give them their full name. You have that one, Kevin? I uh, <laughs> sure do here. Uh, we wrote it down. Um, oh, I, I wrote this one down because this, this is a great name here. Um, if you're into brevity, uh, you're not going to enjoy this. <laughs> yeah. Born in a town named after his own family, okay, uh, Ferdinand Adolf Heinrich Graf von Zeppelin. Oh, you forgot in August. August. Oh, damn. See, that's Ferdinand Adolf Heinrich August Graf von Zeppelin. Oh, Jesus. Augustus, save some room for later. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh man home run Kate um, <laughs> but uh, Mr. Uh, Von Zeppelin as it were was uh, a very promising scientific mind and a uh, Prussian military officer uh, Zeppelin was even an observer for the US Army during the Civil War and during his stay met Thaddeus S.C. Lowe and witnessed the uh, balloon corps in action alright which is pretty cool now he also made it all the way over to St. Paul, Minnesota and Zeppelin, uh, who was obsessed with flight as a kid, he had drawn designs of like the idea of balloons because this shit's been around forever. I mean, since uh, Icarus with uh, the the you know flying a little bit too close to the sun, uh, we've been obsessed with trying to figure out how to get up into that giant blue thing right. in the sky. Right. Um, but not for nothing, uh, this uh, a balloonist, a German uh, balloonist by the name of uh, John Steiner. Uh, went ahead and brought Zeppelin up in on his first controlled flight, if you will, in uh, one of these balloons. Right. So now he comes over to America, meets Thaddeus S.C. Lowe, who is this crazy balloon guy. He's sees him in action. Yeah, Thaddeus is now working basically for the Union Army, but on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And McClellan, the, the general in charge of the whole operation on the East Coast, uh, does not allow anybody to take a take a ride in one of Lowe's balloons. Now, Zeppelin is over here. He's not really. He's just observing the Union Army. He's a, he's a German military guy who comes over to America to see what's going on with the American Civil War and how they're handling things. And just he's another military observer. That's all. It's a lot of tourism in civil wars. <laughs> that's right. Right. You get a lot of people want to, wanting to visit, not get involved with the fight, but want to visit. Um, so McClellan doesn't allow uh, Lowe to take. Uh, Zeppelin up into the uh, up into one of his balloons. So then Zeppelin goes out west and hooks up with a um, what was the name of the other guy? John Steiner. John Steiner. Thank you. Now John Steiner is from the Fatherland, so he speaks German. Yeah. So who who better to you know give uh, give Zeppelin a, a free ride in one of his balloons that. Uh, He's also working for the Union side, so and Steiner. what an honor too, though, to be bringing up a member of the Prussian aristocracy. Aristocracy, up absolutely. In your, uh, absolutely. 
Crazy weird thing here, too. How old do you think Germany is, Kate? The country itself? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, <clears throat> what is this? Guess your best here? Really? Yeah. Yes, well, I, I like it because... Um, uh, 10th century? I really have no idea. People always think that, right? Uh, Germany uh, is actually younger than America in terms of being recognized as a unified state. So that's why uh, this is important that I denoted that uh, he was Prussian. Okay, right. our, our boy Zeppelin was Prussian. So there's all the provinces of Germany. They weren't one uh, giant solidified. It wasn't thing. the unified just, Germany. Yeah. So uh, which uh, we we get to that in a second. Oh boy. Um, but <laughs> yeah, we can thank well another guy. Well, I won't I won't spill it. I won't tip my hand. Well, now Mr. Zeppelin goes ahead and he sees this thing and he thinks, man, we've got to have these back with the you know, the, the Prussians. Oh, he's fascinated by it. Absolutely. Oh yeah, and he it kind of blew his mind when he leaves him. By the way, he's age 52 when he goes full on dedication into the ballooning arts, as it were. Okay, so. <laughs> It's kind of like uh, the ballooning art. Yeah, it's, well, it's very much like when uh, when you see a guy um, uh, quit a prosperous job to pursue a career of stand up comedy. That's um, like a fancy name for saying you do whippets. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my buddy Nate sure did appreciate that one. <laughs> so, um, but no, uh, now during the like we said that was during the Peninsular campaign. But uh, now uh, Zeppelin's seen this. We have to have him back home. All right, can't wait to be a part of this. He starts adding his little tiny things uh, onto this to kind of make the design his own, uh, solve some of the, the problems they were having. So if Thaddeus S.C. Lowe is a genius with the balloons, can't control the balloon enough to not land behind enemy lines, maybe you need to figure out a way to steer these things. Okay, so now that comes into that whole rigid hull thing where they're trying to get a little bit more structure to that, where you could kind of fight against the wind a little bit. LP, talk to me. Well, yeah, with ballooning, there's like really three different types. There's um, the balloon itself where as it inflates, the shape of the thing expands, just like a regular kid's party balloon. And as you let the air out or the helium out or whatever you're putting into that balloon, it's going to deflate and come back down again. Um, then... The, the on the early days to create that that bag that's going to hold the the hydrogen or the helium or the hot air it was that's problematic how are you going to do that certainly you want something a little more um, tougher than paper <laughs> right or coated uh, cloth or something so that you know that thing can easily get abraded or anything else so then they go with a, a rigid structure they're building a frame and then within that, they're putting a skin on the outside of that frame, like a tent kind of a thing, right? And then within that, inside that structure, that's where you're putting the bags that are going to actually hold the, the gas that's going to give you the lift. So, um, but it, back then, like with the Hindenburg, they were bags inside of their holding the, the Hindenburg, yeah, there's, there's right, there's um, gas bags. <laughs> that's exactly what they call them, gas bags. Yeah, hey, I've been called it's, that. <laughs> well... <laughs> How, how appropriate. But anyhow, <laughs> um, yeah, there's gas bags. And there's, because of the size of that whole thing, it's just not one big giant gas bag. There's a whole series of them. So now they have a little more control as to which way this thing is pointing up, down, almost like almost like a ship. Like well, you have it's, a, I was going to say compartments is important. Compartment, that. right, so that so. you can almost trim yourself. In other words, you can come to a, a more level balance type of thing by letting air in, letting air out, or... Losing ballast, gaining gaining lift, or gaining. Um, You're getting very bag. technical on this yeah, one. Well, this is, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, a, I, no, it's important for that too because um, this is like we said. He took the design of the balloon, and he's completely revolutionized it. And now Zeppelin, uh, you know you're good at something when they name it after you. You know what I mean? Right. All right. That um, it's it's now become that uh, this 
rigid hull inflatable ship that's right. hovering above in the skies. Well, another it's advantage. Now known as a Zeppelin. Right. And now the other advantage of that now, too, is previous to that with just a, a, a bag or a big balloon, you're going back to what a lot of people commonly think of as the, the wicker basket, and you're only putting, you know, maybe four or five people into one little basket. Now, if you've got a framework, now you can hang this big gondola underneath the framework. So you've got the framework above you that's actually providing the lift, but underneath is this huge gondola that now you can put passengers and cargo and, <laughs> and everything else into, and you've got um, more space to be walking around, and, you know, the, the bigger the thing is the more space you might or the more lift you're going to have so the more cargo whether it's passengers or freight or whatever you can you can carry so it's a little bit more safe now as well or safer yeah, and, and, and also it has more of a aerodynamic and aerodynamic we're right in that era that you know that word really comes into being aerodynamic that was uh with the car industry and everything else that if you were aerodynamic then well man you're going to just slide right through that atmosphere and you're going to be you're going to be hot stuff. Well, now, uh, Kate, you said you probably would never go into a balloon. I don't see myself doing that. It's <laughs> Kate, you gotta. Um, okay, I'll give it a, if I have the chance. <laughs> well, see, my father's trying to sell you on the the, the joy of this, but I don't think uh, I think he missed it on Wait, the Kate, adrenaline have rush. Have you done it? No, never have. Um, we might have to do it together. That's a deal. Um, if you guys do it, I'll do it. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> Why not? Well, Let's you can double you can double down with this too because it was uh, way back when in the uh, in the 1780s that some of the guys that first went up in the hot air balloons and these early hydrogen balloons they were also the guys that developed the first parachutes. So they right. would they would go up in the balloon and then. Hey, wait a minute! What happens if something goes wrong? How do I get down? Well, well it's kind of like falling forward, right? Um, <laughs> right. You know that that tuck and roll is not going to do it for you when you're 300 we, uh, feet up in the air. If we do go up in a balloon, though, I'm going to have to insist on uh, the adrenaline rush that would come from what was experienced by the the men of the balloon corps. Uh, and I'm going to insist someone shoots at us while we're in the balloon. <laughs> <laughs> we're wearing fatigues, <laughs> right? But uh, that being said, now you go ahead. You have this uh, the the Zeppelin. Uh, uh, like I said, you know you're good at something when you you're named after the the product becomes you. All right, this is Mr. Jello himself, pretty much, and uh, he's got uh, this awesome thing. It's a modern marvel. All right. Now the uh, the Zeppelin um, is also very interesting because, uh, and this one's literally I pulled this little nugget out just for uh, the Kahuna. Uh, Baron von Zeppelins are characters in Super Mario Brothers 2 in Yoshi World that show up in balloons and drop bombs on Mario. Okay? Those are known as Baron Von Zeppelins. That's a true story. I love how he goes out of his way to find his little nuggets That's that a, he knows I will enjoy. He's just like, this is for you. It's a, like I said, sometimes we fuck with you too, that I'm lying. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but that makes it, we do have to get back to uh, eventually um, hitting the, uh, the, the impetus of the entire episode here. But... Um, I just thought that was too uh, a little bit too interesting to skip over Baron von Zeppelin over here. Now, uh, hence in uh, entering this modern marvel, uh, right? There was uh, various Zeppelins here. Uh, now we also have these things going on around the world, right? LP, we got um, yeah. something in America known as the Akron. Yeah, well, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, this wasn't just Germany that was trying to develop this thing. I mean, obviously, this is new technology, and everybody wants to drop, you know, get in, get in on this. Uh, if you got your enemy or maybe one day enemy or whatever, somebody else has got this thing that can go up in the air and it can achieve flight. 
that's a that's a game changer. So everybody's making this mad scramble to uh, to play catch up. Uh, um, and it started really with the French, but then you know Germany, Italy, Spain, um, England. United States, they're all they're all into this whole thing, and it was all seamless, right? There was never any tragedies or mishaps. Oh, there, up to well, <laughs> there were. Yeah, there was there was some downsides. Uh, there was some definite downsides. But can I just say, in these Please. balloons, they could traverse the whole planet in three weeks. Yeah, well, three three weeks. You could three go three weeks, get around the whole planet. God I mean, damn. in a boat, I don't even know how long that would take you. Uh, even I, with the Panama Canal, you know, I mean, I didn't even think of that. That's <laughs> yeah, I mean, that whole around the world in eighty days—that's not too far fetched. And that was by balloon travel, right? Uh, yes, which was the, the Jules Verne novel. Which, uh, for listeners of the show, uh, last week we covered uh, Nellie Bly, who went around the world in seventy-two days. Right. First woman to ever do so. Pretty fascinating lady. Right. But uh, so now the Akron. Uh, we talked about the the casualties of uh, the Hindenburg. That we're going to get back to in a second. Uh, Akron, a worse tragedy, but not caught on film. Uh, not caught on film, and um, that was like the U.S.'s uh, um, entry into the light. Of, well, it wasn't its, its entry, but there was, as I said, there was a number of different airships that were developed by various different countries. And what was interesting is that at the end of the First World War, um, you know, armistice was declared. And then there was all kinds of uh, ramifications placed on Germany, and a lot of a lot of the zeppelins that they were in process of developing at the close of the First World War. Now all of a sudden, by that uh, Versailles Treaty, um, they weren't allowed to develop that any further, and they actually had to give a lot of that technology away to England, to France, to the United States. So some of those early airships that were um, now being developed by foreign countries, started in Germany and then completed in another country. Um, if you want to know about the Akron, the Akron was nearly the same size as um, as the uh, the Hindenburg. It was only like maybe 18 feet smaller than that. But what was cool about the Akron is that this thing was actually carrying airplanes on board so it became uh what the in, fuck <laughs> it became <laughs> it became an in-flight aircraft carrier so this wow. is a uh, the, the uh, russian doll of uh, <laughs> sorts there you go there you go now initially that that whole thing was supposed to happen um that they were going to carry these little um fighter planes to protect the 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 zeppelin right the akron to protect the thing and then it quickly kind of changed around that rather than that being a protector, they were sending these little planes off of it, um, off of a trapeze kind of a thing. That oh, my was God. A, they were, like, taking off <laughs> off of it? Yeah. They, they would take off and then re-land on the whole thing that the Akron would drop down this trapeze, and on the top of the plane there was this big giant hook that they would fly underneath the, the underneath the zeppelin right so watching this is basically just like oh let's go watch the circus kids like let's see them do this <laughs> well whole... that, was, that was pretty much it so and then they would come in and hook hook onto this trapeze that was suspended underneath the akron and then they could 
pull them back up into inside the Akron. And, and so and the was the Akron hydrogen-based or yeah, helium? Uh, that was helium. Uh, let me see. Uh, that helium. was that uh, a helium. Really that sounds really precarious. Was, yeah, that was, a, that was a helium-based balloon. The Americans were big on, on helium because... They were in, no. They had, had a lot of it. Yeah, they had a lot of it. They were full of gas, right? Um, and that's what your great point that you made before is that they were restricting Germany from getting that. They weren't going to supply Germany with the helium, so that's why Germany was forced to go with the hydrogen uh, gas bags. Now the Akron was helium, and it still holds the the world's record for the largest helium balloon. Um, but you know, again, initially a little asterisk at the end of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but initially, these planes were going to be like fighter planes to protect the mothership, if you will. And then it became uh, a change around in, in tactics that they became spotter planes, so that they could cover a further field. Again, we're still going up in the air to see where the bad guys are. So now they're sending out these these spotter planes off the mothership and coming back. And, and this was like a development because back in the First World War, I found this to be freaking nuts, nutsoid <laughs> too, but the Germans flew these Zeppelins and there was one wackadoodle that decided, hey, maybe what we should do, because your point before about you look for the big red thing up in the sky or the big gray <laughs> thing up in the sky, right? Um, uh, they wanted to fly the, the balloon or the Zeppelin into a cloud so you wouldn't be able to spot it in the cloud, but then lower some poor bastard in a basket <laughs> and lower him down below the cloud cover so that he could see what was going on below the cloud cover and, you know, as a spotter, and they would not be able to see where the, the mothership is. So <laughs> spy in a basket. <laughs> the ac- yeah, spy in a basket. Eye in the sky, spy in the sky. Yeah, I but mean, the, only, the only problem with that is now the basket is, is um, um, being affected by the wind currents and everything else, and that poor bastard is now swinging from one side to the other. He's going... <laughs> Yeah, Probably he's going port and starboard. as well. Right, like. right. <laughs> I, I hate you for that, that. KP, because now all I that. just see is Pee Wee Herman swinging <laughs> in this fucking plane. Right, freezing his ass off. But, well, uh, it's a great point, too. You don't even think about that, that, uh, I mean, they got to have, what, some sort of a SCBA on at George, the time. don't worry. You're going to be okay. <laughs> right, right, right. You, you fucked up. You trusted us. <laughs> right. It's only an eight-hour shift. You'll uh, be all right. Jeez. <laughs> But, uh, of course, as always, man is at his best when we're attempting to kill our fellow man. So that's where a lot of the ingenuity is going to come from here. Now, how um, many of these Zeppelins were created for travel, like the Hindenburg? Well, the, the commercial one, because um, the Hindenburg, that's a very fair question. Uh, Hindenburg was known as uh, LZ-129. Okay, now it was not the, um, the first Zeppelin, but it was definitely the largest of its size here. Uh, and before we move on, I do want to mention one thing. So if Mr. Zeppelin... Uh, Baron Vaughn is uh, being so fondly remembered as he is in Germany. Still, they, they, there's still busts of him all over the place, and uh, uh, he, he's still a well thought of guy. I mean, he was a goddamn genius. There's no way around it. Um, but uh, a, a counterpart of his is the guy who was the namesake of the Zeppelin we are covering here today on this episode, uh, Mr. Hindenburg. Now, uh, like we said, it was a modern marvel over here. Um, it is named after Paul von Hindenburg. Uh, who would later become the second president of Germany. Okay, he was a World War I hero. Pretty fascinating guy here. He had uh, quite a legacy too, by the way. Um, if you do good things in life, you want to be remembered uh, 
fondly. And if people name shit after you, that sounds like a pretty good way to live your life, right? Like if there's the Dr. Kate Burke Lepis Highway, you're going to want it to be a nice looking highway, right? <laughs> Um, right. I don't think I want a highway named after me. Though. I don't blame oh, you. What about a wildlife yeah. refuge? There you go. Yeah. There you go. I was going to say, that's not very on brand for me, was it? Right, Damn, right. fucked up. Um, giant Sequoia National. Ooh, now Kate, you're yeah, talking. Kate loves <laughs> Giant Sequoia National Park or something. Much much more apropos. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? If you, don't want the, if you don't want the highway name, I'll take it. Big Kahuna Parkway actually has a nice that's, ring yeah, to that's, it. That's, yeah. That does. That sounds like an amusement park. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, not for nothing, Mr. Uh, uh, Paul von Hindenburg, absolute hero in German history um, and, and extremely popular figure for the time. Uh, not quite a great legacy. Um, what is the line uh, for camping uh, and, and for uh, uh, just being um, uh, green in an ecosystem is that you want to turn the land out? You want to leave the land better than you found it. Is that fair to say? Leave no trace. Yeah, or just the way you found it. Or better, I guess, yeah, if you're or, picking up litter and stuff. Well, uh, Mr. Uh, von de Hindenburg, uh, he went ahead and he, uh, he did a lot of great things for Germany here. Uh, some questionable things um, in his later life and after his death. Um, his legacy had uh, – he had a causeway named after him. They went out to uh, an island that uh, burned to death in a fire. Okay, so the causeway has gone uh, due to a fire. Then the zeppelin that is named after his honor, the world's largest zeppelin, goes down in flames on national television. No, radio, national radio. Well, uh, it was it was also captured on Got film. That's why I think his My friends bad. called him right. and be like, "Yo, are You're you right. okay?" Uh, <laughs> oddly, he was dead uh, at the time of the uh, the Hindenburg year. That's why um, at his, the, the time of his death, he was mourned as a, a German national hero. Um, unfortunately, the guy he turned. Did he die because his house burned down? <laughs> <laughs> um, that would actually be. Uh, uh, a better way to go than um, what winds up actually happening with his legacy. Um, he reluctantly turns over and appoints to power uh, to succeed him in uh, Germany. A uh, guy by the name of Hitler. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh he's that guy. Yeah, so. Uncle Adolf yeah, uh, he, uh, was the next in line. His death allows Adolf to become the chancellor of Germany, ushering in the complete and total domination of the Nazi party over uh, Germany. Congratulations, you, you played a country. Did somebody, like, kill him? Uh, he dies of a heart attack, actually, oh, yeah. Okay. It, was, uh, it was pretty, but he had a, a very complicated legacy to this day because there's attack. so much good. There's so much friggin' good that comes from this guy, and then there's a couple of really shitty things. <laughs> right. But, um, but like, on the scale, did the good outweigh the bad, bad outweigh the good? I would or? say uh, on a scale of, did I put Hitler in power? Um, but if he had a heart attack, it's not his fault. <laughs> they were uh, they were reluctant friends, too. There was a lot of weird stuff with that. This is another guy that I got completely lost in while we were covering. But, uh, this is wild. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the, the point being with him is that this is the guy that they named this Zeppelin after. So you got uh, a pioneer in, uh, in ballooning. Uh, with Zeppelin, who's got a Zeppelin named after Hindenburg. So you're trying to, you're really, this is the pride of Germany at the time in the 1930s, which was turning into what we would know as Nazi Germany. So now, um, as we were talking about, though, uh, LP, um, now this uh, this is LZ-129, the Hindenburg. Okay? Right. This is a commercial flight. This is a big to-do. Oh, this was, and this wasn't the first transatlantic flight by any stretch of the imagination. There was a Zeppelin before that, the Graf the Graf Zeppelin that flew transatlantic flights back and forth all the time uh, um, and with a very um, what does Graf mean in uh, German you told me on the ride down uh, that Ca means count yes count so um, you know when we go back to um, um, Zeppelin's uh, full name 
there's a Graf von Zeppelin. So it's Count. It's really the translation would be Count von Zeppelin. So that's the most badass was, name I think yeah. I've heard <laughs> he was, in a minute. He was Count uh, Zeppelin. Yeah, like, von oh, Zeppelin. Count von, von Zeppelin. Also, don't forget Zeppelin was from a town uh, of Zeppelin with the family name Zeppelin. So he had who some went on to make, yeah. yeah, right. He had some. Uh, he was pretty much. Uh, he uh, had some connections. It reminds me of Lemmy. Uh, what's the band's name? Motorhead. Motorhead. <laughs> what's can the I, song name? Motorhead. Can I just say something though? Even. Um, um, the Hindenburg, that was, his, that was its 35th transatlantic flight. Yes, it was. It had done that a lot of times. Right. But it was just filmed because it was just still so grand. And I, ge- I guess. It was supposed to be routine coverage because that's a, a, a – you're on fire, by the way, Kate. Uh, Kelly's fired. I hope she knows. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. No, I'm going to so. be in trouble for saying that. <laughs> um, but no, this was a regular flight for uh, the Hindenburg to come over. Uh, well, But the, the big thing was – that this is a huge, giant airship. This is uh, the pride, like we said, the pride Nazi Germany. It's the biggest thing in the. It's the biggest thing in the world, really. Exactly. Yeah. And now, uh, now, now imagine, like we always talked about the Titanic earlier in the show. Now imagine the Titanic hovering where you can see all of it, because really the Titanic's a spectacle, and about seventy percent of the ship is underwater, so you can't even see that shit. Um, nothing stopped Good. me in my tracks more. Uh, in my entire time in the U.S. Navy, than when I saw a ship in dry dock for the first time, and you, you realize those... just how far that shit goes underneath the water. Right. It's mind blowing. Right, that shit freaks me out. Honestly, those the, the propellers. <laughs> when I saw the when I was little and I saw Titanic, when I saw that movie for the first time, and you see how big those things are compared to a person. Yeah. Oh, it's awe inspiring. Yeah. It's yeah. oh my god. Now imagine and... you're in New York City and you see a giant Titanic flying up in the sky because the Hindenburg actually made sure uh, the captain, Max Pruss, who uh, had flown over the, uh, uh, he'd done the transatlantic flight over 175 times, I think. Um, so he was no, this was not a, this guy had his sea legs in the air, if right. that makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, it was, and um, he had his wings. Germany, Germany to uh, New Jersey or Germany to, you know, the United States was the short run because they were actually flying from Germany to Brazil as well. So that, that, that was another. Rio de Janeiro. That, that was another uh, run that they, they took. Rio so, was the city? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, and I, you know, when they fly over, this was a big propaganda thing, too, with uh, because the Hindenburg had the swastika um, fully emblazoned all over the whole thing. So, I mean, this was the, the upper pride and lower of Germany. Fantail of the ship. Yeah, this so. was the, uh, the, pride of the pride of Nazi Germany with this thing, the biggest thing in the world that is now in flight, bringing all these uh, high-flutin', uh, well-heeled... Uh, you know, high-paying uh, customer base uh, coming over to the United States. And a very high German population still existing in America. That's one of the largest immigrant groups at the time. So this was something to be proud of. Oh, see, the, the, we didn't know all the shit was going on behind closed doors. When I say we, I'm Irish. I have nothing to be concerned with. Um, <laughs> I'm adopted, by the way. Uh, but like you were saying, man, this was something to be proud of. Now, in the city of Manhattan, people are losing their shit seeing this thing flying up in the skyline. Right. Okay, pretty cool. And the captain, Max Press, made sure to deviate from the original plan of action, if you will, the course, to make sure he could uh, be seen in Manhattan to kind of cause this. Uh, there was a little headline seeking in this. Yeah. Um, Just but a little the, show-offery. Yeah. With the Titanic, too, and then that's funny. It's, uh, isn't it funny how whenever we... Uh, Show off. We, yeah, we attempt to... Uh, um, Get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, God gives us a quick middle <laughs> finger. That's us know. Right, stay right. off. Just looking at these pictures, like I've, uh, for those who can't see it, obviously, I'm glue, literally Googling pictures of the Hindenburg in New York. This is this is crazy looking. Yeah, it looks like uh, it, uh, it looks like the alien ship. Yeah, you're not going to miss it. The alien ship in Independence Day. That's what I think it looks like. That it's just hovering over there. It's not moving fast. It's it's just there. Right. Okay. Um, but now uh, it's also crap weather. 
So the ship winds up being uh, about a day and a half late. Well, that's one of the reasons why they deviated to go up into New York, too, because they were wait- rather than going directly to Lakehurst, they deviated to go around around Manhattan to, to show off, but also hoping that the weather was going to clear down around Lakehurst. Thunderstorms and stuff. So. Right. Yes. And uh, you once lived in Leonardo, New Jersey, did you not, Kate? You know I how did. quickly the I weather did. changes around here. <laughs> What, what? The Concorde used to fly over my house when I lived there, actually. No shit, yeah, really? like, its last flight was, it used to fly right over my neighborhood. Oh, yep. goddamn. Yep. Right. <laughs> I had no idea on that one. I also didn't know the Concorde stopped flying, so I've learned something today, too, here, guys. Uh, before we leave that whole thing flying around New York, um, we're right in that same time frame, too, with the Empire State Building, that the Empire State Building is built in the 30s, and uh, a last-minute... Um, thought was because there was a big scramble with skyscrapers at the time who's going to build the the highest or the tallest skyscraper and the Empire State Building at one point was going to be the was the highest building in the world and to give it a little extra height they thought well wait a minute wouldn't it be cool that if we could have a dirigible if we could have a Zeppelin land and more, you know, or anchor, if you will, at the Empire State Building. So they extended <laughs> a mooring mast on the top of the Empire State Building an additional 200 feet um, um, to, to moor a, a Zeppelin on, on the top of the Empire State Building. And then there was going to be a little catwalk or a, a gangplank, if you will, that would take you down to... Um, I'd poop my to pants walking on <laughs> that. All, absolutely. Uh, is this a real photo? That's a real photo. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's She's a showing Zeppelin a, attached I didn't think to it was the top real of the too. Empire looking, State right, Building. Right. I was looking up on Google. I was like, there is no way that you couldn't pay me to make that walk. They were, they were, <laughs> they were, they were thinking that, hey, wouldn't it be cool that you know, somebody we could put people right in midtown Manhattan by exiting the, the Zeppelin and, and walking down the gangplank, getting into – and I think the elevators were like at the 82nd floor so – so you were hoofing it a long way, and then the crew and everybody and supplies and everybody else would have to be coming up. <laughs> so but the Empire it, State Building was almost the first standing airport. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it, a good was, way of it, it. it was. It was. I mean, I'll do anything to not pay that Lincoln Tunnel toll. I'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it was, uh, and I think that it was only um, active. That photo that you saw it was only there for like three minutes, and they they quickly realized, hey, this is this is nutsy because. Um, the the various wind currents being com- being created and there were incidents where the balloons rather than tying up at the nose and the balloon or the zeppelin remaining horizontal now you all of a sudden they get an updraft and that whole thing is now standing on its nose that it's a little that upsets the passengers a little bit when you go from horizontal to vertical <laughs> I couldn't and I I wonder why this didn't take off um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but I uh, thought that was just an interesting little side note that the uh, some somebody uh, thought it would be a great idea, and then but they did get an extra uh, two hundred feet out of the. Uh, Cahoon's finding some quality pictures here yeah. too. By the way, he's got yeah. the docking. So I'm going to put all these up on the Instagram for the thing. That yeah. is the craziest looking that is thing. An awesome photo. So for those who are like, what did he just show? It's literally the top floor from if you were to look up. Yeah, that's the, the ob- that's the observation the deck. You're looking from the observation no. deck. <laughs> top of the Empire State Building. Yeah. Top of the Empire State Building. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that might have been a little upsetting, but uh, um, they, they quickly— They had to wash too many drawers with that <laughs> setup, so they're like, you know what? This isn't worth it. Right, that's right. 
uh, wet pickup aisle three. <laughs> um, yeah, they quickly realized that that wasn't going to really uh, do the do the job intended, and uh, it was quickly transferred over to be uh, radio antennas, and uh, now it's you know. Uh, cell phone antennas and everything else up there. So they still made use uh, out of the extra. Oh, height, I mean, but, you have to with that real estate. Right, but right. Um, I mean, this is insane. I, I'm going to post a bunch of these pictures because this is all interesting shit here. But I know we're starting to run out of time, so I want to uh, get. You know, let's get to the crux of it now, man. We unpacked everything here. We're right back. Let's talk tragedy, guys. You know what I mean? Awesome. <laughs> um, That's right. So now the ship goes ahead and it's going to come into uh, to port here. Now the German. Uh, in Germany, rather, or in uh, other parts of the country, specifically in Germany, they weren't really using those uh, very high in the air mooring masts you were talking about. Right. High mast. That was an American low special. Mast, right. So the Hindenburg is essentially the same thing that happens when you try to plug an iPhone charger into a German outlet. Okay, you got to have the adapters on it. You know, figuring some shit out here. Bad stuff's going to happen. Right. So uh, they argue that uh, while it was attempting to moor in there, that uh, there's a lot of maneuvers that Captain Max Press had to make in order to accommodate the mooring, which again was outside the normal thing for uh, the Zeppelin pilot who, again, this guy is not a friggin... He ain't green, all right? right. He knows his shit. Right. Goes ahead and he, as he's starting to pull in here, um, there's a ground crew, a lot of spectators checking the whole thing out and uh, our, our boy Herb Morrison is on the ground for what he thinks is just going to be a routine day at the office. We're going to cover something real quick. Winds up uh, catching pretty much the entire thing on film. I thought this was interesting. As of right now, in uh, 2019... Uh, January 3rd, 2019, when we're recording this podcast, we still don't know what the fuck happened. Right. There's no official story. No right. little black box recording all Yeah, right. The there data. was no flight. Not bad. Good point, Ed. <laughs> Great point, Kat. Yeah, that, that technology hasn't come into play yet that, to capture the black box to find out what went wrong. There's photos of the Hindenburg coming in to land. There's a video of the Hindenburg coming into land. There is photos of the explosion. There's videos of the explosion. There's nothing at the uh, inception of the explosion. So to this day, eyewitnesses' accounts are still varying on right. what part of the Hindenburg actually caught up in flames. Even and that footage, there's like a weird jump, but it's not like a cut in the film. It's like it goes from normal for like literally one second and then jumps right into fire. And there's yeah. not even like a visible cut or anything. Like no indication of where it started. It's just... And eyewitness accounts differed too depending on what side of the balloon they were observing from you know some people say it started on the on the port some side on the starboard you know aft um, it's like a laurel and yanni moment but with death so <laughs> yeah oh my god <laughs> i shoehorn that one in um lawrence has no idea he just laughed because he's polite yeah, um, <laughs> i have to admit i don't know what the hell you're talking about oh there was a, a thing on the uh that was trending a while ago where you would click um uh, oh, a yes, button, yes, and it would, yes, you, you would hear sorry. if it was saying Laurel or Yanni. And yeah. the newest Did you one, see the one with Grover? Yeah, the newest <laughs> one is Grover. Oh, yeah, they think... Uh, Did you oh, see no, that? What, what are they talking about? They think Grover dropped an F-bomb on That's Sesame That's a fucking Street. awesome idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, no, that's a fucking excellent idea. But he's really saying, that sounds like an excellent idea, but it really sounds like he's saying, that's a fucking it excellent idea. It really is. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, man. Grover, Grover, don't leave your mic on. Come on, <laughs> bud. <laughs> But today's uh, letter is F. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad, sir. Uh, like we said, still a mystery as to what caused this fire. Now, um, as we said earlier, too, this should happen in 40 seconds. Okay, pretty much within 40 seconds. And the people that are in that little uh, caboose, if you will, that the, the actual passengers and the crew members, uh, they descend 200 feet 
almost immediately. It is like a uh, version of the Tower of Terror in MGM Studios on steroids. Yeah. Okay, just come, you're, you're falling fast. And let's throw a little fire and explosion in it too, you know? <laughs> well, because you saw how it, it all goes up in flame. It's almost uh, – what was interesting about it that I was reading is it was almost a contained explosion because the, uh, the, the rigid hull was actually a container in and of itself. So you're not getting um, – a giant mushroom cloud effect. You're getting the the, the gases are going to burn up. So the gas burned up almost immediately. The diesel fuel on board uh, burned for like the next 12 to 15 hours. Oh, oh, I didn't realize. Yeah, that. there was diesel fuel on board, which was terrifying. Well, that's what provided the propulsion to move this thing forward. I mean, again, Always the hydrogen right? is going to give you the lift, but it was the diesel fuel power and the the propellers, if you will, to give you the the thrust to move you forward. Now there were survivors on the Hindenburg, right? Yeah. That's what's insane. When you look at this footage, there, you're thinking there's no way anybody walked away, and uh, yet only sixty-two people. Yes. Uh, and uh, most, wow, a lot Kate, of them were. You have done some research. This is uh, let the record show. Uh, multiple note cards too. She is <laughs> handwritten note cards. This was not a. Uh, yeah. She didn't phone this one in. And her literary sister did not. So I just <laughs> want to put if that. If I don't out there. write it, I don't remember it. <laughs> I am the same way. Um, there you go. So, uh, but what I thought was interesting too, though, is that uh, now um, because of uh, as it's attempting to go into that mooring station and it bursts into flames, um, Captain Max Pruss is actually one of the survivors. And uh, actually pulls out his radio operator and saves his life as they're pulling him out of the ashes of this thing. Because when you watch the footage, uh, you can see people running towards the the incident to try to take care of it. I mean, what the hell are you going to do? That's like uh, – I mean, you're running towards because you, you, the instinct is to try to help. But what the fuck do you do? Um, <laughs> right. But, I heard a story of a guy who was probably like 25 or something like that, and he jumped out the window and escaped and ran away and then was like, holy shit. And he ran back and he like saved a couple of people. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I would have gone back, I'm being honest. Um, <laughs> Captain Max Press also was uh, pulling survivors out of here, so um, he eventually had to be restrained by first responders on the ground. They were able to save a lot of people. Most people did experience some burns. I mean, how do you not with an explosion of that size? And literally when you're in a tiny little thing being carried around by the explosion. But uh, I thought this was interesting. They also mentioned that uh, even though it is still a mystery, one thing that's come up, uh, there's conspiracy theories. One even uh, conspiracy theory would state that Hitler himself had the ship downed uh, for some nefarious reason. Uh, another one is that uh, there was a author who put out a, uh, a couple of things saying that uh, there was conspiracy theories that uh, a saboteur was on board the ship. And uh, they even traced his uh, – the guy's name was Phelps, I believe. And uh, he was um, – there were certain parts of the ship compartments that only he would have access to where the, the fire possibly could have started. Then he also had a Jewish girlfriend who was a communist. Uh, I mean there was lots – Oh, the he's gu guilty. Yeah. The, <laughs> That's right. The, uh, the Gestapo. Still formulating theories. Yeah, the Gestapo had actually cornered him uh, at one point to question him about certain things. And Max Press, the captain, to, the, uh, to his deathbed, swore up and down, there's no, I didn't do shit wrong. This is complete, this is a this is sabotage. All right, somebody got us. And uh, they continue to argue. One of the theories actually was about uh, they blamed the incident on St. Elmo's fire. So, Ooh, I, I read that. Yeah, Judd Nelson. Can yeah. you believe <laughs> That's right. That bastard. <laughs> but, uh, stuck to the damn breakfast club. Am I, is it fair to ask you what St. Elmo's fire is, Kate? Uh, I, did, I did look it up. Um, 
It has something to do with static electricity. Yes. Um, and but it's it's static electricity that is continuous. So it's not like a zap when you touch somebody's arm after you shuffle across the rug. And, <laughs> but it, it also needs like a thunderstorm, so strong electricity from like a lightning strike to create the static that literally just kind of lasts for a while. And they called it St. Elmo's because I guess during thunderstorms, it would be, I don't know about a common occurrence, but it would occur at the top of masts of ships yes. like back in the day. And these sailors would be like, it's God, you know, because mm-hmm. there would be this glowing thing on the top of the ship, and so it was. Uh, it was wow. definitely it was a nautical thing too, which I thought was really cool. But it's also commonly associated with the Bermuda Triangle. That oh, almost I didn't all know that. incidents of the Bermuda Triangle also involve St. Elmo's fire. Oh, that's interesting. Which, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. It was. Um, Are you going to do an episode about? The Bermuda Triangle? The Triangle? We should down the road. Uh, it all depends on whether or not you want to come back, Dr. Lapis, all right? <laughs> that's, that's right. That's the next Halloween episode. Uh, Ooh, that's a good idea. Not a bad one at all here. Now, I, I know we have to wrap up because we're going long again, as always, because uh, we have fun on this show. I'm sorry. <laughs> all right. right. Um, but the uh, the one thing that uh, the, the saboteur thing has never actually been agreed upon uh, by a bunch of the scientists that looked into it. One scientist by the name of uh, Addison Bain, who uh, worked for an organization known as NASA. Uh, he went ahead and he is considered one of the foremost experts on the Hindenburg uh, incident. He uh, concludes that what he thinks happened was that the canopy, that the lubricant that was used for the canopy to go over the, the ribs, if you will, of the ship, that, that rigid hull, the canopy that was going over that, uh, essentially was incendiary paint. Now, if you wanted to build something uh, that was going to have, you know, hel- uh, not helium, but uh, hydrogen. hydrogen and uh, flames uh, in a giant space like this, you probably want to make sure it wasn't flammable, right? Right. That's a. Uh, it's just like don't smoke a cigarette when you've been working with kerosene. Yeah. Well, know? they would paint. They would paint that stuff to try to give it, you know, the air tightness so that so it would hold the hydrogen without having the hydrogen leak out. And back in the 30s, there was no latex paint, so everything would have probably an oil base kind of a thing and anybody that's done refinishing knows that if you've got oily rags you don't just crumple them up into a pile and throw them into the corner because you could have spontaneous combustion with anymore it. yeah um. <laughs> <laughs> anymore right right but uh now this uh the thing goes up in flames here uh, again officially no actual answer for this but they do believe that the uh lubricant that was put onto the canopy over here could have been uh like we said incendiary paint which would have been prone to uh exploding so if there was static electricity could be caused by say almost fire right uh also it is a rainy day when they're attempting yeah, to thunderstorms were in, in the area it's one of the reasons yeah. why they diverted uh to hope for better weather upon the landing and you got this German crew flying the Zeppelin, and now you got an American ground crew. That you know, is there a communication problem here? Is and the German crew was not used to um, the air mooring, the, yeah. mooring on a high mass kind of. So there's a lot of things going on here. That uh, can we talk about more, more, mooring, mooring, mooring for a second? Because I think it's really interesting <laughs> that back then. We want to set this thing down. All right, throw down the ropes. Okay, everybody, pull. I mean, that's how they got this thing down to the ground. I wish uh, I wish there was a more scientific thing, but uh, essentially that's what we how we got all the ships underway in the Navy still. <laughs> right. Um, one thing I did think was interesting, I don't know if you came across this in your research, um, but I thought it was interesting that one of the reasons why the, uh, the mooring masts uh, in the American uh, Zeppelin industry was more popular was because you could do it with a reduced crew. 
So if you want to save a little scratch at the uh, airfield, you want to go ahead and do that. So right. Did you have anything but else? But there was also, to Kate's point, um, with the Akron, which was the American version of uh, these giant Zeppelins, there was an incident where they were attempting to moor this thing. And you got to, you know, they're throwing down the uh, the lines and the guys on the ground are grabbing a hole of it and trying to, you know, tether the thing, pull it, pull it back down into the ground. And all of a sudden there's this uplift and now there's guys hanging on the ropes and they're being lifted off the ground. And um, one guy fell to his death, or two guys fell to their death, and then a third guy was able, they were able to pull him up into the Akron before they finally were able to land a thing. That's a big they, fat nope. Yeah, that was... <laughs> That's that's not my uh, that's not my just line a of work, shitty game of tug of war. Yeah. I was yeah. reading while you were talking about it. I was re- actually reading up on the Akron. There was not one, not two, but three accidents with this ship before it actually was well before it actually had its major crash. Right, it's final. It's a and final the, mishap. And the second one that was the mooring accident actually it actually departed from Lakehurst. Right. Oh really? Well, yeah. Lake, Lakehurst was the naval station, I and mean, that was the the. Uh, Air Naval Station, so. And that accident for, uh, actually is on film. You can actually find it. Now I'm going to have to Google that one. I, I thought, don't want to see that one. I thought it was interesting, too, talking about static electricity and everything. When they have to moor and they throw down the ropes, the guys on the ground have to be trained to allow that rope to hit the ground so that any electricity that collects yeah, grounds into right. the into the planet. Because right. if you just grab that rope, you're going to get electrocuted and killed. Right, <laughs> especially on a well, rainy damn. day, like they yeah. were saying too. And something that size. I mean, you're saying well, what happens when you walk across the wool rug with leather slippers and you touch somebody? You get a little zap, right? The surface area um, of a huge <laughs> zeppelin. Yeah, you got a more than just a tiny little ouch that hurts. That's uh, so uh, essentially too. This is just a giant um, series of unfortunate events. Yeah. Okay, that everything that could have gone little tiny things that all went wrong uh, wind up. Uh, Putting, and the, just the fact that the people were there from NBC, that it was NBC that got the news on footage. Um, Giant floating bags of nope. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, what a spectacular display of uh, – and that quote of, oh, the humanity. Um, if this entire crash took place in 40 seconds, uh, then that, in that 40 seconds, you pretty much saw uh, what we covered from Thaddeus S.C. Lowe uh, with the, uh, the ballooning around in the Civil War era to Baron von Zeppelin. Uh, getting this modern marvel created to the Hindenburg flying over Manhattan in the skyline, trying to really show the world, hey, look what we've done. Here's something pretty cool. All right. In that 40 seconds, uh, the lighter than air industry essentially dies. Went to yep. shit. Yeah. Yep. Nope. It's not great marketing. Yeah. Um, to, uh, hey, have you thought about, you know, let's for the honeymoon, let's take the missus out and we'll go on a Zeppelin together. Right. Oh, you mean that thing that just blew up on the fucking news? I did hear a story about a guy who was um, a perfume executive and he was in Europe. And he promised his wife he would not fly during the trip. But then he couldn't resist, and he got on the Hindenburg, and he came uh. home early to surprise her for Mother's Day, but he did not make it. <laughs> Damn. Uh. It's like 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. See, that's God. how ghosts get created. Yes. Okay? Right. Right. Like, the the woman's still waiting. Like, Jeez, I, now I'm unsettled. <laughs> So how many how many ghosties are walking around uh, Lakehurst Lake right, right now? Actually, right? they say Lakehurst is incredibly haunted because of the Hindenburg. 
Oh, really? Uh, well, because it's there's still a monument to it um, down there that you can request tours that uh, when it's a little bit nicer out. Uh, we were going to see if you wanted to come down one day. Ooh, Kate. I'd love to do that. I think there's a few remains that they have on display there too. There is. There's a what hangar is, oh, one uh, still standing. Hindenburg remains. It's, yeah, it'd be fucked up if it was somebody's severed head. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a little crispy. <laughs> but uh, there's the the placard Jeez, on the ground, if you will. Yeah, that was dark, Dad. Um, <laughs> Even for you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there is uh, – you can still see the, the ground where it hit, if you will. And then uh, also Hangar 1 has now been turned into uh, – there's a chunk of it has been turned into a museum uh, to kind of commemorate the Hindenburg on that one. Now, uh, that being said, we're at uh, the hour 22 mark here. Uh, I want to say uh, thank you to everybody who's listening at home. Uh, any final notes from Kate or my father? Well, I have a little something that I dug I, out. I know you have the, the last thing that we want to throw here for Kate, but I just wanted – because Kate did legit research, so I want to make sure we don't hit anything. I just want to talk about the chemical structure of helium and oxygen. <laughs> I'm just joking. No, uh, I'm good. No, uh, first of all, Kate, thank you for doing this. Uh, you know, I love you. You're the best. And uh, I love you too. I want to say thank you to the Kahuna uh, for taking good care of us over here. Uh, now, this thing, I'm going to say the goodbyes right now because the the what the fuck moment we're about to end on is. Um, triumphant okay so uh if you guys are liking the show do me a favor like subscribe leave us a review on itunes all that shit really helps us out like i said thank you for helping us reach over four thousand listens so far we're going to keep the show going here uh we're having a great time with it it's my dream project i'm very happy with it check me out at uh, kpburksucks.com or kpburkcomic.com if uh you're a booker and i don't want you to know that i bought the domain name kpburksucks and uh at kpburksucks on instagram and twitter kpburk on facebook uh lp do me a favor here um, take us out on a weird note. <laughs> well, uh, this is kind of a weird note. Uh, Kate, have you ever heard of the band Led Zeppelin? Ooh, it's my favorite, all-time favorite. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Uh, Led Zeppelin, one of the most influential rock bands in history. Uh, they had a pretty long career going from uh, 68 to 80s, and they, they put a couple of albums together, right? Pretty, the, the pretty, good pretty good ones. Pretty good ones. Pretty good ones. The band's album, Led Zeppelin Four. Which features the, uh, the the timeless song uh, "Stairway to Heaven" is still regarded as one of the greatest rock albums of all time, right? Agreed. Um, Agreed. When they when they first started playing together in '68, they used the name the Yardbirds. They weren't known as Led Zeppelin. They were they were calling themselves the Yardbirds. Problem with that is. Um, the Yardbirds uh, was a band that one of the guys played with previous to forming what we now know as Led Zeppelin. And uh, the former uh, bassist of uh, the Yardbirds threatened to sue the band um, over, the, over the name rights. So they decided, well, we got to come up with a, with a new name. So they were going around with different things, and they were going to call themselves the Lead Balloon or whatever. But finally, they decided, hey, Zeppelin, that's a really cool sounding, that's a really cool sounding name. So they uh, decided to go with Lead Zeppelin. Um, so you want me to start singing some songs now, right? <laughs> there you go. Welcome there to the sing-along go. portion of American Losers, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sure Maddie's got a few, a few on vinyl, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, these, these guys are absolute rock stars around the world, and they, they start uh, organizing a European tour. Um, and then in February, they were going to treat their numerous fans across uh, Western and Northern Europe um, with, a, with the tour dates. Uh, however, there was one particular aristocrat who wasn't too pleased with that idea. Um, this aristocrat was none other than Frau Eva von Zeppelin. Now, Eva von Zeppelin was the granddaughter 
of Count Ferdinand von Zeppelin, right? Her granddaddy was the guy that started this whole thing. So she wasn't pleased that this these this rock band musicians are now using the Zeppelin name uh, for the name of their group. And she was outraged uh, to use her family name. Uh, she thought they were uh, disgraceful and utterly disrespectful. And she threatened to take legal action against the band if they played a show in, in where she was living in Copenhagen. So you know, now the band is being threatened with uh, legal action if they well, go I, by the handle. She, she, thought, she referred to them as a, a, a bunch of long-haired howling monkeys. Uh, sh- shrieking, <laughs> shrieking monkeys. Shrieking Which, monkeys. Uh, it, not a great review. That was a um, quote. <laughs> yeah, right, right. At the time, uh, Frau Zeppelin. Speak for yourself. If I was in a rock band and that was a, that was a review, <laughs> I'd put that on the freaking well, vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're heading in the right direction, Nick, with, with what the band actually did. But, uh, no yeah, Frau, Frau Zeppelin uh, thought them, uh, quote, shrieking monkeys, unquote, and uh, eagerly tried to convince the authorities that her age-old family name was being slandered uh, and Led Zeppelin... Uh, Led Zeppelin still did appear on Danish television, and then, um, according to uh, to Page, um, um, the meet there was a meeting set up um, at the same st- TV studio, um, and surprisingly, uh, Frau Zeppelin enjoyed hanging out with the band. So they had a meeting. They had a sit down between Frau Zeppelin and and, and Led Zeppelin and, and, and Led Zeppelin the band. She just walks in. It smells funny in here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe that's uh, why she thought, uh, you know. Yeah, you guys aren't that bad. <laughs> right. right. Um, so they were hanging out for a while, and uh, she even agreed to let them continue to, uh, at the conclusion of this sit-down meeting, Frau Zeppelin agreed that, yeah, they could use the name and everything else, and everything was what they uh, thought um, was. Everything was square. Everything was squared up, and everything was going to be good to go. Unfortunately, upon exiting the studio, she notices the cover of their album. <laughs> <laughs> no. Freaking <laughs> Which is the, like a world famous photo of the, the giant Zeppelin blowing up on, on in, in, in uh, Lakehurst. And, uh, you know, that pretty much put the kibosh on, uh, on Frau Zeppelin allowing them to, uh, <laughs> to, to continue on using the name as Led Zeppelin. So they were still going to appear at this uh, at this show in Copenhagen, and um, you know she was now really like adamant. She's going to the to the battlements with with this and threatening. All. She hires several high high profile profile lawyers to, uh, to do battle with these guys legally to make certain that they're not going to use the uh, the Zeppelin name, and uh, so now. The band is like, oh shit! What the fuck are we gonna do here? You know, if we if we, we don't if we this. perform, yeah, we don't need this, right? So they decide that the band ultimately employed a tongue-in-cheek strategy. They decided to play the Copenhagen show, but use a different name. So for that one show in Copenhagen, they didn't go by the name Led Zeppelin. They called themselves the Knobs. <laughs> what an awful name. Yeah, the name was a pun because the name of their European promoter was Claude Knobs. So they, they became known as the, uh, the Knobs. The temporary name stopped Ava uh, von Zeppelin and her lawyers from taking any legal action. And uh, actually, it became a, a, a big plus to, von, uh, to the Led Zeppelin band because now they got all of this notoriety of this, 
uh, von von Zeppelin uh, Bay threatening to sue and everything else. So they got worldwide publicity out of this whole thing, and uh, actually they, they did a tremendous job of promoting their their band. Uh, being now that Frau Zeppelin thought they were a bunch of shrieking monkeys, it was uh, spun around to be a positive. Did you know that one ahead of time, Kate, or no? Uh, I did not know all that. See, I, I found that one out because uh, when, when we did the research for the show, it's just a series of uh, the two of us saying, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> and when he whipped that one out, I said, there is no greater note to go out on. <laughs> right. I like it. So, I like it. Thank uh, you. That being said, uh, uh, Kate, thanks for coming to the show. Dad, thanks for being here. Cahoons, thanks for all you do. Mike and Ming over to Shared Universe. Thank you guys for letting us use this space. Uh, guys, my name is K.P. Burke, and that was the Hindenburg American Loser. American loser the day I was born An American loser the day I was born An American loser the day I was born